Welcome to Fence Post Politics, the only source for unfiltered, nonsensical, fakish news that you never asked for. With your hosts, Matt McKinley and Aaron Ellis. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Um, we're uh, we're here with uh, with uh, me and Aaron back for Fence Post Politics, and uh, we got a really special guest. I really appreciate his time. He's a uh, He's a well-respected voice in the in the cattle industry as a whole, um, Mr. Corbett Wall. He's from DV Auction. Uh, you may know him uh, from his his daily market report feeder flash on YouTube. You need to make that a podcast, buddy. Yeah, I've been told that before. <laughs> I, I I may have an offer for you, but I'll 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 wait till we get done uh, with the important stuff uh, on that. Um, but we, uh, you know, I, this is the 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 working cowboy podcast, and I I don't get. I don't spend a lot of time in the markets just because I don't I don't own any cattle. I I take. I take care of cattle for for everybody else. I know I know how like the general overall market uh well for the for the last forever it seems like it it just kind of sucked uh all the way around. And uh, as we were talking here before uh we went live you uh you're a market guy first and foremost and and, and you never really did politics until <laughs> politics kind of started shaping the markets and and so you you've uh you've had to kind of jump headfirst into to the politics of the cattle world and aaron's heard a little bit about it um here and there but like we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into to this whole deal and and it, it's a mess and i i I I don't have one particular side uh on on this i'm i'm kind of like I, I'm, I'm kind of a free agent in this deal. I, I just like to know what the hell's going on, what we can do, and and uh, and what <laughs> what any of this stuff means going forward. And um, and then we'll we'll kind of it's just kind of an overall state of the cattle industry uh, type of show. So Corbett, thanks for coming on. Um, I really appreciate your time. You betcha. Um. So, uh, first and foremost, um. Can you kind of give a little, like, I guess, like Cliff Notes version of what what exactly the problem is um, as far as like the packer concentration, um, price fixing, and 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 all all the stuff that's going on to, that's got us to this kind of disaster that we have in the cattle business right now. Well, okay, you go back. Uh basically uh, selling fat cattle uh, from the mid 1960s. And before that, it was all done for the most part in your, in your terminal stockyards. And that's where your packing plants were at uh, Chicago, Omaha, Kansas city, mm-hmm. places like that. And in, uh, you know, they would drive the cattle to the railhead and ship them on the, on the train in there. And those cattle would sell in the stockyards and then they would, uh, you know, run right across the alley to the packing plants in those in those bigger cities there. And then the meat would be shipped out. Uh, starting in the, about the mid 1960s, uh, we saw that your your and, and before that it was mostly just farmer fed stuff. 
and a lot of it wasn't grain fed. A lot of it was grass fed, not kind of a niche market, but just because that's all they had to feed them. And so in a lot of those cattle, they weren't moving through the system as fast as they are today. Some of those cattle might have been three or four years old by the time they got to market weight because they were just being fed grass. Mm. But uh, as we got, uh, you know, as the, the whole industry kind of uh, evoluted into, uh, you know, feeding the grain and everybody realized that they loved the sweet meat and uh, and we started grading the carcasses and and everybody wanted choice or prime steaks and things like that. Well, about that same time, we realized that it was more efficient to feed those cattle in a big commercial feed yard somewhere where it's drier and more arid uh, mm. rather than fighting the mud of the Midwest all the time. And so we saw people uh, coming out and building the big commercial feedlots like you see today where they might feed 30 or 50 or 100,000 head in one location, kind of on a hillside that drains. And a lot of that started happening in the Texas Panhandle area where I live, uh, southwest Kansas, uh, eastern Colorado, and, and a lot of a fair amount of it being done in, in Nebraska, although they didn't uh, in most places have as big of facilities uh, just because you get more moisture and, and more runoff and things like that. Well, at that point in time, we saw your, your packing industry move out of the bigger cities too. They moved out into the rural areas and uh, but to get closer to the, to the feedlots. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we saw your uh, – USDA, uh, based mostly the Packers and Stockyards Administration, that kind of oversaw the, the trade, made sure everything was on the up and up and was on a fair and level playground. Uh, they were still sitting in the old stockyards uh, with their feet up in the exchange building, you know, waiting for the cattle to come in whenever, you know, most of our cattle were being fed further west and, and mostly south. Well, it really wasn't efficient to, to move those cattle into a stockyard, into one one location to market those cattle anymore. They would sell on a direct basis. Or the packers would come out, uh, bid the guys on the cattle that they had ready for slaughter, and then they would ship direct to the, to the packing house. Uh, so always your, your packers and stockyards administration had rules against Packers owning cattle, which was a conflict of interest, uh, you know, playing favorites with, with certain feeders and different things like that. But whenever everything went direct, uh, it no longer was enforced. So you saw your, your bigger cattle feeders, which most of them were in the grain business, naturally. Uh, and a lot of them were in the packing business, too. Uh, they were establishing these large feedlots. And what the Packers really need is they need to know how many cattle they have coming. That's that's their constant need is how many mm-hmm. cattle they have ready, how many they have coming. They'll take care of the slaughter and they'll take care of selling the meat. But so your Packers started investing into cattle feeding, which was really against the rules, uh, you know, just as, as common nature, as conflict of interest there. And uh, so they started... Uh, getting in partnerships with your big uh, cattle feeding enterprises, owning their own large uh, cattle feeding uh, 
operations and things like that. So, you know, moving on through time, we got up into the 80s and the 90s. And up until that point, all the cattle each week were sold negotiated cash. Packers mm-hmm. would come into a feedlot. They would look at the cattle. They would bid the guy on the cattle. The guy would either take it or he'd say, no, I want more. Or another packer would come in and bid him more. And you had negotiation. And that's what we call negotiated cash trade. So, but as things kept getting more vertically integrated, you had uh, basically the packers owning large cattle feeding uh, operations, and they no longer really needed to negotiate on the cattle. Mm-hmm. When the cattle were ready, they shipped them. And uh, they kept those enterprises separate. And so they started selling those cattle on a formula type basis where uh, they would slaughter the cattle. And it would, it would roughly be based on the cash price that everybody else got for that week. And then you would have premiums or discount depending on how the, the cattle slaughtered and what, what the carcass merit was. So we kept going through that. Well, it, it, uh, we got to the point uh, going on uh, through the end of the 90s into the 2000s where basically all your large cattle feeding operations we're in some kind of a sweetheart deal, uh, a formula trade where they had promised an individual packer all of their cattle. And so there was no need to negotiate on them anymore. So we just we just had the few independent cattle feeders or farmer feeders that were still up in the Midwest in Iowa and Nebraska, and they would negotiate on the cattle. They would establish a cash price, and then all the others would... Uh, base their formula trade on that cash price and then have uh, premiums or discounts on that. Well, as we kept getting fewer and fewer and fewer independent cattle feeders and the larger cattle feeders had all gotten into some kind of a formula arrangement, then, then you don't have any price discovery. You've got fewer and fewer people that are negotiating on the cattle. So, you know, that, that gets dampened down. It got so bad that in 2015, your Texas uh, feedlot areas, which is the biggest and includes eastern New Mexico and, and western Oklahoma, mm-hmm. they were only negotiating on about two and a half percent of the of the total cattle that they sold. Mm. Well, you know that so 97 and a half percent of the cattle were sold off of what two and a half percent brought. You know, that's, how hard would it be for the Packers to manipulate the price on that little two and a half percent, knowing that they're going to buy all the cattle based off of that? So we, we, we basically it was the tail wagging the dog. And, and, as you and uh, the, I, I'm ahead. sorry to sorry to interrupt. Uh, and, no and as a way to uh, to it's more of a padding their stats type of deal with uh, even that two percent because I worked for for JBS uh, at uh, Grant County Feeders for about a year and a half and I, and I got you know a deep look into the world of corporate agriculture and I I did not like it I mean it was it's a it's kind of a nasty business but so we had is a hundred and twenty thousand head feedlot. And half the yard was commodity type cattle, uh, meaning they didn't they didn't meet meet any sort of uh, branded beef program. 
And then the other half was their nature well program, which is kind of their, their, uh, alternative to, uh, to, um, certified Angus beef. And all those cattle went to national beef, uh, either in Dodge city or, uh, or liberal Kansas, just depending. I forget which one, uh, slaughtered the commodity cattle and which one, uh, but what you do is on to make that uh, that branded beef program, you had to meet a certain set of requirements. And one of those requirements was no medicines. Uh, I think it was 48 days uh, prior to slaughter or something like that. No, no uh, medicine withdrawal or residue. And so those cattle that that got doctored after that no med date, they still received a premium on them. But they, uh, but they didn't meet the Nature Well program. They they fell into like a lower lower category. Those would be sold on the cash basis, <laughs> but there was no negotiation on it. <laughs> it was the same cattle, uh, same buyer, same same owner. Uh, but instead, those got those got uh, bought on a ca- uh, whatever the the market price was for the day. I mean, it was. Uh, so it was just shady as hell. It was a hundred percent non-negotiated uh, trade uh, coming out of that that yard there uh, in in Ulysses, Kansas. Yeah, for sure. And and that and the branded programs. I realized uh, for the most part they claim that they're on a premium quality product and, mm-hmm. and the all natural, like what you were talking about, or the. Uh, uh, NHTC or non-hormone treated cattle that haven't had implants and, and there's definitely a market for those but that's where your packers went in on the branded programs mm-hmm. to eliminate more uh, independent feeding and, and negotiation so they would go out to a guy's place and, and they would say Farmer Brown your cattle are just superior to all of your neighbor's cattle you know, you, you've got these uh, best genetics, you, know, you feed them really well, uh, you're sorting the ones off that you gave shots to, you're not giving them any implants and things like that. And and your cattle are so, so good that we're going to, that they're, they're eligible for this gold label or, uh, you know, some kind of a premium thing that they, they called it an ex-cattle ranch or whatever you want to call it that makes yeah. people feel really good about their cattle. And so they say, you know, okay, we're we're going to give you this uh, little premium here, and you send them to us. And then, as your packer buyer leaves that guy's place, he calls his boss and he says, "Yeah, we got all this guy's cattle tied up too." So the 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 main thing about those branded programs or AMAs, as as they're starting to call them now, alternative yeah. marketing agreements, is the the first thing that you promise when you enter into an alternative marketing agreement is that you're going to promise all your cattle with that packer. Mm-hmm. So there's no negotiation mm-hmm. and there's no competition. So we've gotten to the point where there is so little competition on the cattle that are for sale in the open market that we don't have price discovery. And, yeah. and it's a trickle-down thing. So shit rolls downhill. So if, if there's no negotiation or no competition on your fat cattle, then it, it limits the, the ability for your guys that put cattle on feed to make money. Well, that, that limits their ability to, to buy feeder cattle from your backgrounders or your cow calf producers. And, and it just, 
it keeps pressure on your cattle market all the time. And, and it makes it where a lot of the time it's not profitable to be in the cattle business. Well, you are, you're spending, uh, gobs of money trying to reach a premium standard and you're still getting below commodity prices. Like you're, 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 you're shooting for a differentiated product, but you're basically selling a commodity. And that's exactly right. And, but the thing of it is, is, is when there's, when we don't have price discovery, you know, and I, and I, when I give talks, I always relate it to this. You guys have watched those American pickers on the history channel and they come mm-hmm. into a guy's place and, and walk through his junk. And, uh, you know, they, then they, they see something that they like and they hold it up and that guy forgot he had it. And he said, you know, what do you want for this? You know, they, they come to a, a price discovery on that. It's a negotiated price. We just don't have that near enough of it in the cattle business. And we don't really know what those cattle are worth. We right. just know that as our inputs get more expensive uh, and, and it gets harder to have ranches because you've got competition from people that are wanting to put them in and conservation or uh, or uh, people that are coming in wanting to buy those ranches and just have, uh, you know, hunting and fishing on them and things like that. And then we've got urban sprawl and we've got everything else against it. It just makes it tougher to have to have people that are in cattle production business independently. And, and uh, as, as we continue to do that, we have less players and less players and less players. And that is what, uh, you know, I'm totally against is less players. The, mm-hmm. the great thing about the cattle business is, is you're independent. You can raise whatever kind of cattle you want. Uh, you, can, you can calve whenever you want. You can sell them whenever you want. All that kind of thing. That whole thing is just going away. And if you want to relate it to something, just look at the the hog business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, about 30 years ago, we lost independent hog feeders. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, by, uh, you know, by and large, you know, we've lost them all. And it was the same thing. Your pork processors had had a complete control of the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, everybody was a contract grower. And then they got to the point where they didn't need to put a cash price out anymore. So, you know, if, if you're controlling them, if you own them from the time they're pigs until the time they're pork, why do you have to put prices out? They, they don't want to put prices out. And so you have no price discovery. And so, and you have no market transparency. And that's what we got to uh, in 1998. They finally had got so small that you didn't have to have an Omaha hog market or you didn't have to have a country points, uh, you know, buying station market uh, for hogs anymore because they own them all. They, they own them from the get go. So uh, in 1998, your pork processors decided that they'd rub out the rest of your few independent hog feeders. They took your hog market down to eight cents a pound whenever uh, the cost of production for fat hogs was in the low thirties. Yeah. Well, yeah. And everybody went broke. Is, everybody went broke. So is, yeah, basically oh, no independent hog feeders left. Is the pork industry the only industry that doesn't have um, independent um, facilities or that price setting? Like this is chicken that way, or is it only kind of specifically pork? You're exactly right. 
the the the, the turkeys and the chickens went before that. Okay. And it so all started you know, with it's John just Tyson. A, a slow progression. And and you know, it would have basically been that way with lamb too, but we don't eat a lot of the lamb here. Mm-hmm. And and we've seen a, a big growth in your your lamb and goat markets because we are getting so many Muslim people over into this country. And those are the only products that we don't raise enough of here to feed the people that want to eat them. And so, you know, we have seen a big uh, price increase in in lamb and goat meat because we've got uh, all these ethnic groups that come over here that would rather eat that than than anything else that we have. Yeah, the the the, the Hispanic market's really big on on the goats as well. Sure. And I'm I'm not sure as much on the lamb, but for sure the goats. And yes. uh, um it's uh and it's funny how all these industries that have been vertically integrated have also started with some sort of government subsidy. Like, uh, <laughs> they, like if you look at the dairy industry in particular, and, and I, uh, I've got a point where I'm going with this, but, uh, you, I, I, I work for a little background and yard and we, we, uh, we start a lot of dairy heifers for some guys over in California. <clears throat> and then we also, we run, uh, we background some beef cattle as well, but the that dairy industry has got so just uh, commoditized. I guess is the best way. It's it's such a uniform product, and it's as you see very few guys with jerseys. You see you see almost none of any other breed besides Holstein. You see Holstein, and you see a few jerseys for like the high f- milk fat content, but like uh, as at least in the Western U.S., I, I don't you know Kansas and, and west of there. I don't I don't know about the, and I would assume the Midwest the same. I don't know about the East Coast. They may still have some of the your more traditional uh, dairy breeds, but by and large, you see Holstein cattle. And uh, and I was telling Aaron today, like you can trace the genetics of uh, every Holstein in the unit the United States uh, that are sired by. Th- by you know three different sires no problem there <laughs> yeah and and you see some you see some weird uh weird looking cattle uh and but it, it's just for straight milk production and and that has but that has led to the rest of the industry as well where you have these like these giant dairies in in kansas and texas and they're all all Holstein cattle, and they all sell to the same place, and it all goes to one other big cooperative, and uh, and it probably all gets uh, marked with a Happy Cows uh, come from California logo, because <laughs> uh, all all those dairies originated in California as well, and uh, it's just. <laughs> But like, there there's almost no small dairymen anymore. No. It's all it's all about economies of scale, and your processors do everything they can to get everything so uniform, mm-hmm. where it's very very predictable, and and that that's all part of the process. Just like you talked about in the dairy industry, uh, all the cows look exactly the same. Before they took over the hog industry, they uh, you you go to a hog show, uh, which has nothing to do with the commercial business, but you see red Durox and you see you know, black and white hamps and all that kind of thing. At the end of independent, uh, uh, the hog industry, and, and now as it's gone 
completely uh, integrated. Oh, they wanted all the pigs the same. They wanted them all white. They, they wanted them all the way exactly the same, look exactly the same. And you're starting to see that with cattle too. Mm, everything black. Push. Everybody wants to have black cattle. And they and they want them, you know, they want them to, to grade well and, and they want them all to be the same. And we we actually heard for years that they that we were trying to fit the box. You know, we had to make them the right size. So whenever they processed them and cut them up, they would fit a box where they that's yeah. the way they marketed them then. But back in 2014, whenever we got really short in numbers, uh we realized that that's what knives are for is to cut that product up and fit it into a box. And so then they led the industry into making larger cattle. And making the cattle larger meant that you fed them longer and they graded better because they had, you know, they had more grain. And so they learned that they liked that. And uh, But th that's just the, the natural way of things as we completely move into vertical integration in animal agriculture. Well, and now you're seeing where used to you, there'd be a bunch of like Holstein steer calves. Um, uh, and they, they didn't, uh, they took forever to feed and, uh, they graded just fine, but they took forever to feed and, and very few people wanted to kill them because they didn't fit the, the standard. So now you're seeing a bunch of crossbred beef calves, uh, that, you know, when they have a terminal cross at the, or a terminal uh, dam at the at the dairy, uh, where they're only breeding her for milk production, they're not keeping any. So that's another thing that when when you're when your only incentive is production, you like you're 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 you can pretty well set the quality however you want. But uh, the Holstein cow is is bred for production. Like they they make a lot a lot of freaking milk, and so now that that's all you have, and then you you uh, you breed any sort of other characteristics out of them. It's just uh, you you got the. I mean th these thing these uh, these Holstein cows are massive. I mean they're <laughs> they're they're like six foot tall at the withers. And uh, or or taller sometimes. I mean, they're they're big animals and, and dumb, and and just they've got a lot of like genetic uh, problems with them. But that's because they they produce the most milk, and that's that that was basically their only selection. Yeah, uh, that's all come with the advances in reproduction we've had with sex semen. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, they they want the the heifers, the ones that are going to be cows, all out of the same bull, mm. and so you know they just keep back their very best producers. They breed them uh, to be to make heifers so that they can have more cows, and they make them all out of the same ones. And then they need to add value to all of those other ones. I mean, you got to keep having calves to keep having milk. Yeah. So you so yeah. Instead of just having a, a, a Holstein bull or steer calf that, like you said, takes forever to feed and not worth a lot of money, they can contract those calves to uh, to basically uh, a half blood breeder or these these calf ranches that will go in there and they'll pay for the semen out of the top very very best Angus bulls in most cases, 
and they'll sex that semen where all those calves will be bulls to become steers. And then the way that they get those to keep from being uh, out of the market is once they get them raised, they put them directly on the feed mm-hmm. uh, at, a, at a lighter weight where they'll finish at a normal market weight and they'll actually finish at a premium because, like you said, they breed very, very well and, and it's a good product. And so, they, uh, you know, I think, you know, you don't have to go cutter. to the zoo to see a Holstein steer, you know. Yeah. That it's that's a hundred percent right. It's uh and they're just it, it's insane because we we fed several uh, several lots of them here, uh, and it, it's just insane how cookie cutter they are. They're all the same height. They're all the same width. They got the same face, and they they kind of halfway look like an Angus steer. But, but they're and, and but they act like a Holstein. It's 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 wild. But they'll and, uh, bring you know, you know in big drafts, especially on like the video sales and stuff. They'll bring as much as uh, an all beef calf whenever they're sold now. So they've they've uh, gotten you know they've they figured out a way to add value to that product. I got a city kid question. Um, you guys were talking about how everybody wants black cattle. Like that's the thing is the reason because it's easier to grade something that's all the same or what, what was the reasoning behind that? You know, it, it almost seems like, uh, I don't know, kind of ridiculous that everybody wants black cattle. Um, is it, is it because of the grading system and it's easier to grade them for quality or what, what's the reason behind that? Well, actually most all of that is due to the success of the CAB or Certified Angus Beef Program okay. that, uh, that the Angus Breed put together. They've got people in New York City that know what Angus means. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they understand that. They, mm-hmm. they, and they feel like that it's a better product. You know, many cases it is because our progressive breeders have mostly went to Angus and then, and then they raise uh, really, really top genetic cattle and they take those cattle and they feed them really well. They grade really well and they taste really good. And so the success of the, the certified Angus beef program is what has caused almost all of that. Okay. So, but in your packing plants, the only thing they have to do to be certified Angus beef is be 51% black. Yeah, and, and they've got fifty-one percent black Herefords. They've got fifty-one percent black Charlays, Semitals. Every breed you want to find, they've got that they can they can they can make them predominantly black, and then they can still be CAB if they grade well enough. Yeah, but one thing you will never ever find is outside of your favorite grocery store, you will never see where they have a taste test that has a high choice or prime Hereford. Charlay or any other breed next to an Angus and be able to tell the difference because you can't tell the difference. No, you can't tell the difference. I I've fed uh, a couple Holstein steers just for, for me personally. And yeah, if you, if you can, uh, you can hold on to them long enough to, to get them to, to the right, uh, you know, <clears throat> finish, they taste great. And, uh, and, Absolutely. and they're huge. I mean, they, 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 they grade just fine. Uh, and, and a choice steak is a choice steak. I mean, unless you're, until you get into the, the grass fed stuff. I mean, and then that's, that's just, that, that's a, a, a difference of palate. Like some people really like the grass fed stuff. I, I don't care for it. Um, 
but the, mo- the majority of your cattle are, are grain fed because uh, grain grain fed is very efficient. And, and, yeah, and it moves, it moves them through the, the system so much faster. We're moving cattle through the system from the time they hit the ground till they're they're finished and at a grading way, you know, faster than ever before. Mm-hmm. And, and that's efficiency. And, and that's, you know, we're in, in this country, do it, we do it more efficient than any place in the world for sure. Yeah. Well, and that, that's uh, also a big reason why your, your grass fed stuff, even though I consider it an inferior product, that's why it's so much more expensive because it, it takes a lot more resources to, to bring that same steer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, the main so, thing that grain grain feeding does is it turns the fat white, mm-hmm. which makes it attractive to us. Yeah, if, if you've got, they're not going to show you grass fed steaks in the, behind a glass because the, the the fat on them, which is what makes it taste good, is yellow, mm-hmm. and it does and it's it does it's not attractive to us, and it doesn't make us want to buy. It. Yeah, it, it looks like uh, it looks like it's turned. Well, I've never met a steak I wouldn't eat, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all that being said, that's led to where we are now, where the the, the Packers are bringing in money hand over fist. Uh, the price of beef is uh, through the roof. And and then you have a ton of of small, small to mid-sized, even large ranches just going under because of... Uh, of just the price price disparity and and that all starts with the whole price discovery part of things i mean like if you don't know what a product's worth uh the, the guy that doesn't have uh the big contracts um doesn't know what is what his his product's worth so he's just got to take whatever people give him and then that that takes away all of the the independent nature that has made the the American cowboy and the rancher what it is like we're we're the, we're the most independent damn people on earth and uh and we're 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 trying not to give in to that uh to to how the hog and and uh, poultry markets went and the dairy market uh our business all all in in general and um and and also that means like we we also don't like the government very much and we don't like them looking into our stuff because we don't like being told what the hell to do because we know what we're doing we're pretty damn good at it. You've been um, doing it for a while. Yeah, but we're at the <laughs> point now where like as 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 much as uh, you hate to say it like you got to have like there's got to be a referee that comes in and be like hey fuckers this uh, this is not right. <laughs> And the biggest problem of it all is uh, we as uh, cattle people can't even get on 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 a unified voice to say, hey, what we need to do. Uh, and uh, and it's it's been an absolute shit show. I know uh, like you, you got drugged through the mud back uh, when the, like the fair cattle markets campaign went through when <clears throat> basically it was try to get the the attention of, of uh, President Trump. Uh, through Twitter, because as we know, that was his uh, favorite uh, favorite way to communicate outside of a you know a rally what was Twitter, <clears throat> and um, what started as a very noble effort to get catch the attention of of the president to have him use the bully pulpit to actually push through some sort of reform turned into a bunch of monkeys slinging shit at each other, and. Uh, 
<laughs> and of course, nothing, nothing happened. And and meanwhile, more and more people have gone under, and uh, we finally have got some sort of traction. You know, um, say say well what you will about Joe Biden, nobody likes the guy. But at least he's paid some sort of lip service to the the plight of the cattle rancher uh, with this thing. So maybe if he can uh, remember what day it is, uh, he can he can if we get something going, he can kind of use the bully pulpit. And uh, I, I don't even care if he shits himself while he's while he's pounding the pulpit, as long as he's pounding the pulpit for the, you know, for the American cattlemen. Um, but we got this this compromise bill. So. Aaron, for a little background, we we basically you got you have the RCAF USA. I forget what they exactly what they stand for, but they're like the firebrand. Um, uh, like they they they're a no compromise type party, and and for for uh, as as much politics as NCBA, they're like the big players in in the cattle. Or, you know, as far as cattle trade associations go. Um, they like to play like they're, uh, um, you know, they're just trying to get stuff done, but they also don't compromise very much, or at least within the cattle industry, they don't compromise much. They, they're very quick. It seems like to compromise when it, when it comes to the Packers. Um, and then, and then you, you have, uh, United States Cattlemen's Association, which is kind of the... Um, I don't, I don't want to call them middle of the road because middle of the road seems to be like a bad term, but they're, uh, uh, as far as the cattle business goes, they really are like, they're, they got a lot of the same views as RCAF, but they're also like, Hey, it may not be good, but let, let's try to get something done. It might not be everything. Practicality. Uh, they're, they're kind of the little bit more on how I feel is like, as long as we're moving towards where we want to be. I can take that. It's uh, at this point, it's better than nothing. Usually I'd say, you know, uh, no deal is better than a bad deal, but we got to get something done. Uh, So what, what is in this, uh, this uh, Grassley? I forget who the other, uh, I know John Tesh was on. Okay. So um, it's a, it's a Senate bill. It's still in the, in the ag committee, isn't it? It is, but they've they've dropped it now. Where it's up for uh, review, they're going to schedule a hearing here sometime shortly after Easter, and uh, then it will uh, go through the hearing process and then eventually go up for a vote. So it's it's a live live bill now, and okay. that is uh, Senate Bill thirty two twenty nine. Okay, so it's essentially bipartisan uh, yeah. of signatures on it. Uh, John Tester. Uh, from from Montana has signed on to it. Uh, I believe it's Ron Wyden from uh, Washington or Oregon. Oregon, yeah. Or somewhere out in the great northwest there. He signed on to it. Both of those are Democrats. Uh, both Deb Fisher and Chuck Grassley are Republicans, of course. But uh, this is something that we've been trying to work some towards. If, if we want to preserve this industry for, for independent uh, cattle producers, We've got to maintain that price discovery at the finished market. And most of your cattle people do not deal in that finished market. It's, it's above their head. Most of them just raising calves or maybe buying light calves and growing them and selling them as yearlings. But uh, if, we, if we continue to lose 
our price discovery at the end point at the slaughter weight, uh, then it's going to trickle down and we won't have anything. Similar to how I told you we lost uh, our hog industry, well, back in the 70s, 80s, and even early 90s, uh, we had feeder pig auctions, just like we have our feeder cattle auctions, and they were viable and they were active, and you had a lot of people buying them, buying light, lightweight uh, hogs to, to grow into finished hogs. But when we lost our independent hog feeders and everybody was just under contract, well, there was no need for those anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm not shy in saying I'm doing this for the sale barns. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, we're in the sale barn business and DV auction. I'm a sale barn junkie. have been since I was a toddler. And if we do not uh, keep some price discovery at our finished price, it'll trickle down and there will be no active trade in our yearling feeder cattle or our calves uh, and, and maybe even to the point we're at, at our way up cows. And there will be no need for those auctions. And and I, I just, I'm I'm working to try to stop that from happening. So we at uh, and I'm and I'm affiliated with U.S. Cattlemen's Association on the marketing committee there. And about two and a half years ago, I was at a at a event that they held, and and I did a talk, and we were sitting in Jake's Steakhouse over an adult beverage. And uh, several of the leaders of U.S. Cattlemen's Association were there. And we're like, well, what do we need to do? What, what can we do to help this? And uh, I believe it was me that said, well, we need more negotiated trade. Uh, we're, we're losing all of our negotiated trade. Well, how can we preserve that? And then somebody else said, uh, I think it was Justin Tupper. He said, uh, well, we just, we, we've got to get the government in here. Of course, everybody didn't want to hear that. You know, we don't like the government. <laughs> we're, we're conservative in nature and we don't like the government. But who else is going to do it? Well, we can't get anybody else to do it. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's NCBA's argument all the time. We don't want the government involved in our business. Well, the government tells us how much weight we can put on those trucks. Uh, the government tells us uh, how we're going to uh, uh, look at those carcasses and make sure that they're healthy and, and we have inspection and they also have grading to tell us how we're going to sell them. Government's involved in everything we do. The government has allowed these four packers to monopolize the industry by not enforcing the PNS regulations yeah. from, from way back. Yeah, so now we've got to ask them to come in here. Act and do something to help preserve this industry. So the Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act, uh, the biggest part of it is to establish minimum mandates of negotiated trade for all of your larger packing facilities. And uh, there's several other uh, parts of that bill that are, are good. And some of them, I believe, are more aggressive than that minimum mandate, but it seems like the minimum mandate is what everybody uh, is getting excited about. Well, and I think you brought up a good point too on your podcast. Like it, it, you have a sense of urgency about this. And like you said, this has taken you two years. Yes. And if you get through that whole two years and nothing happens, you're almost starting from scratch. So the urgency to get the voice out about this particular bill is huge. Even if you don't like some things you don't like about the bill. There are some good things in there and there is an urgency to get it passed now because if you don't do it now, when is it going to happen? This is our only time to get it done. You're exactly right. We've just come out of the pandemic. Uh, we saw that uh, we saw how vulnerable we are 
to our processing. I mean, you know, when people started going to their smaller processors and then you guys know as well as I do, all of your little locker plants were backed up for a year or more. Got them processed. And so we weren't able to keep all those workers on the front line because of the, the tightness of quarters where they work. And we saw the, how vulnerable we were. And we also saw how your major packers are willing to gouge the consumer. Absolutely. For price. Yeah. And the packing industry has had all time record highs in their, in their, uh, in their profitability the last couple of years, right during a time when you would have thought what it would have been the toughest because they weren't able to process that meat. They just jacked the price up. Mm-hmm. They, they hold all the cards at the same time. Your cattle people have not enjoyed uh, higher prices. So the, the thing that's brought this all to head is your packers just got too cute. And as we come through these black swan events, one of them was the fire at the Holcomb plant, which was a little slick signal of it. But the pandemic was the one where they mm-hmm. really got cute. They jacked their price of box beef cutout values. $200 per hundred weight and, and cattle still bring in the same. Well, yeah. it's, it's just not fair. And, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they rely on your cattle producers. They ought to be able to share in those profits. And, and NCBA will tell you that, uh, you, you know, anybody that raises cattle is in the beef business. That's not true. We're in the cattle no. business. Packers are in the beef business. If we were in the beef business, we would have got to enjoy some of those record profits too, but we didn't get any part of it. Yeah. And, and that, uh, I, I don't like to harp too much on the, the beef checkoff program because in the, in the long yeah, run, that's it, a whole it, deal. Right. it's a whole nother deal. And in the long run, it's, it's really small potatoes. It, it really is. I mean, I, it sounds like a big number, but when you, when you, when you think about how, like how much money these guys are making, uh, if the beef checkoff program went away today, those Packers would find plenty of money to go ahead and make up the the research, education, and marketing uh, of sure. the beef product. Like that, like it's that it's, it's they, really they could take part of the money that they're spending on fake meat and and maybe <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So like uh, I, I'm, at at the end of the day, it's it's a dollar per head, and it's it's I I know it means a lot more to the independent rancher. It it works us the way that money is spent. But like you said, it's only a buck or two ahead. Uh, This this cattle price discovery and transparency act is a lot bigger deal. Right. Right. What it it would basically do is it would set the bottom. It would set the the, the minimum where they're at right now. I can't go any any farther below that. Yeah, when when you have Texas and uh, yeah. Southern Plains yards, Texas, you know Texas is up somewhere, you know, in the in the ten percentile region, maybe less than that. Uh, but that's the ones that are participating in negotiated trade. There's a lot of packing facilities that will fall under this rule that haven't been buying any cash or negotiated cattle for years. Yeah, all, all well, your big Tyson plants, all so, your big you know, uh, national plants. Some of them plants. are and some of them aren't. Well, once <laughs> they start participating at their minimum level, then you have the others doing what they were doing, it's going to jack it up quite a bit. Yeah. And it will allow the few feedlots that still sell negotiated cash to turn a bid down. Right now, they're, they're just sitting ducks. And like yep. you said, there's no negotiation on so much of it. 
But right now, if if a packer comes to your feedlot or he calls you and you've given him a show list of cattle you got ready and he shoots you a bid, if you turn him down, that's it. Yeah. He's not coming back. And and likely he will not call you for the next several weeks while those cattle are getting too big and inefficient for punishment. Yeah. And retaliation then, from the packer is something that, that most people don't understand. Yeah. And then when but, he does finally buy them, he's going to knock the shit out of you. the hell out of you yep. on them because they're too big. Yep. With, so, with this bill, I had a question. They talked about the cattle book. And is that is that just historically what prices were and kind of showing everybody where, where prices are so you can determine what prices will be in the future? What What was the cattle book about? Well, Aaron, that that is the cattle contract library. I think you're talking about. Yes, the library. What, what that sorry. would do, and I, like I said, I think that's more aggressive than the minimum mandate. That mm-hmm. would expose the sweetheart deals. Mm-hmm. Oh bigger, yeah, that yeah. these bigger cattle feeders have. It'll say, you know, well, here's what they're getting, and and it'll it makes a library of the different sweetheart deals. And then an independent cattle feeder could go through there and look and say, well, heck, I could do that, you know, and it would give him the information. And so he would be more on a level playing ground whenever he's negotiating for his sales there. That, that's that a big, big part of it. For that library, would it be current prices or would they go back historically to like what they were paying 10 years ago or would it just kind of start? I think, I think it would. I think it would start, you know, when we get this past. And then, you know, we say there's no negotiation in those formula deals. Well, they negotiate them once a year. Mm. And so, but then it would, it would basically give the, the different variables of that, uh, that negotiation, which that is the thing that your big corporate feeders do not want to show. Right. Most of your negotiation most of, is based off of like uh, your your current cash ma- uh, cash cattle market. Right. That's which, the which is, yeah. yeah. Which is uh, a handful of guys in Nebraska and Iowa, basically. Yeah. That's watered down. Yeah. You know, big time. Yeah. So, yeah. but you know, but getting to see that, you know, that that most, you know, I'm friends with a lot of the guys that they're way up in the. Uh, in the corporate cattle feeding arena. And a lot of them will say, man, I hope you get this deal done because they know that it's, it's going to end up making their cattle bring more too, because there's going to be more negotiated on the few cattle that their, their cattle are based off of, but they do not want to, to show uh, their, their formula. Oh, I, I'm sure. I'd say I, I've, I've, got a, I've got an ESOP account with Cactus Feeders, and uh, it did well over this pandemic, like really well. Another thing that's really aggressive in that bill is uh, the 14-day disclosure. So it will require packers to tell USDA for them to report to everybody what cattle and how many they have scheduled for their plant within the next 14 days. Well, that would give everybody the the results of how short bought they are. If they really mm. need cattle, they don't have enough cattle shipped to them in the next 14 days. I think that's the most aggressive of all of them. But everybody wants to talk about this mandated minimum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess all, all of that, we kind of so it. It establishes the the mandated minimum, uh, the 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 price library, 
and uh and the 14 day uh deal and it's also a 14 day delivery on on cattle right yes on the, yeah. on the negotiated cattle yes yeah. that's 14 day delivery and then it's got some other things in there that have to do with uh confidentiality on the reporting that uh, USDA does right now and they're wanting to try to report as much information as they can to get through those confidentiality filters so that uh, we have more market transparency and that's that's where your transparency part comes from and I had a question too. You were talking about the infractions, basically ninety thousand a pop. Mm-hmm. Um, estimate like in a year, if this thing were to get passed, how many infractions do you think some of these companies would occur in a year? Just to put it in perspective, because ninety thousand a pop, but then yes. you have no well, idea. And what what would they get popped for? I guess it, it's per incident. Mm-hmm. So it would be it would be every every. Uh, basically every trade that they make or every trade that they don't make to fill their, their minimum mandate. Oh, okay. and, and people can argue and our cappers argue a lot and they say, well, 90,000 bucks, you know, that's nothing. They're making millions every day in those, in those plants, which is true. But if they can, if they're uh, habitual offenders, then that, that would go into uh, kind of a folder that some of your producers could use for a, for a civil uh, case to sue them for that. <laughs> as well as a marketing campaign vendors. too, as yeah. well a, a marketing, like we could use some, uh, you know, you, you could withhold your, your beef checkoff dollars and, uh, and divert them to a fund that just goes to uh, a bunch of people shitting all over the company that, that is, uh, <laughs> is violating, you know, I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of use to to having that, uh, like having that on record. It would also be well publicized. Yeah, and so your consumers, it's it's going to give a bad name out to to consumers, you know, and then then you know may, maybe they're likely to buy less of their product. I mean, you know, they think uh, you know the people that are fighting this bill say, well, it's nothing. No, it is something, and they would not be habitual offenders of this. They, they would follow the rule and they would abide by it. Yeah. It's, it's not about the money. It's about, no. the, it's about the reputation, you know, because you know, everything is, uh, it's, it's all about image. And when you got a, you got that on your, on your image, it doesn't matter if, if a lot of people don't believe it, you can't, you can't take it out there. Once, uh, once you get labeled as a habitual offender, I mean, ask any uh, any convict who's uh, turned his life around. <laughs> ask him about that, you know. But you know, ninety grand still ninety grand. You know, yeah, that's right. they don't want to give that up either. Well, and then if they've uh, if they've exceeded their their uh, you know where, where they're going to get fined by you know say the twentieth of the month, so every single transaction after that for the rest of the month is uh, is ninety grand infraction. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. You're getting your knickers after yeah. a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a deterrent. I mean, like uh, one single infraction at $90,000 is, I mean, that's less than a drop in the bucket, but that, that shit adds up. Yes, definitely. So, and I apologize for it because I, I do compliance issues for a local school district. I report to the department of education. So compliance, very curious about it, but with, with the library and reporting, would they be, would it be a yearly report basically of what they've done during the year? Would it be quarterly? 
how would they how often would they have to report their stats in order to kind of fulfill that 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 cat that cattle library well if it it was if it were cattle that they had purchased you know once they started purchasing off of that particular contract then they would have to reveal uh the variables in that contract and so that would stay the same you know, for a calendar year, but still all the different outfits that they bought cattle off of, they would have to show the different, uh, if, if there were differences in them, they would have to show the results of the, of the negotiations within that contract. So and that, that's like every, like a year every, sing, every single contract you'd have to report. Yes. That. That's okay. why they call it a library. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because with schools, we, we report two big times of the year and that's it. But in an industry like yours, you can't wait a year because it's already too late. Well, and you, you get to, uh, you work in one of those big feedlots uh, and you realize just like how many, how many different producers there are. And, and then mm-hmm. like you, you can break down each load. So like you get a load out of uh, Kentucky um, and, and I think it was uh university of Nebraska did a study a while back and there they they there was a a feedlot in Nebraska that put out a an order for a thousand head of uh of uh, you know like seven weight steers from from the Kentucky area and uh so you know you say Kentucky but that might be Tennessee or uh who, you know what whatever I'm not real I can't picture it in my head but anyway all those all those southern states right around there and and out of a thousand uh thousand head that they they ordered, then they they traced each individual animal back to the to the source, and and it was something like um, seven hundred different operations put cattle on that load uh, from from that part of the world, and and then like the further south you go until you kind of hit Florida, like it they they get smaller than that, you know it might be. Uh, like it's just a, out west where everybody kind of sends their cattle to to sail on one day outside of like a couple sick ones or whatever. Um, like you, you basically you get paid one day a year where uh, you you get down in, in in the south where the the operations get way smaller and you like you may have to have a big repair on your pickup or something and you just take a you take a steer to the sail. Like it's, right. it's well, you, they they carry you around and and they. They sell cattle when they need money, like you said. Yeah, yeah. So and and then like, I mean, and and that that's just the little bit that I learned at a, at a year in a big feedlot. You know, they're just uh, it, it's uh, it's amazing how um, I guess uh, uh, how much uh, to use the buzzword for today, uh, how much diversity there is within the in the cattle business. <laughs> It's uh, it's wild, and uh, and and when all that that uh is made to come into play with this price discovery, like that really changes the cattle market, and uh, and and all those guys that have really good cattle, uh, all of a sudden are gonna start getting paid for having good cattle instead of just basically selling premium cattle at a at a commodity price. And Mr. Well, what what can the public do to kind of? get awareness out, you know, do, do we need to call our representatives? What, what are you guys doing to kind of get this thing potentially passed? Well, as, as I've said in, in my reports, you know, the, the white house has endorsed this bill and 
like Matt said earlier, I'm, I'm not sure that Biden really understands what it is, whether <laughs> steak comes from cows and bacon comes from pigs. But we do now, have rampant, we have rampant <laughs> inflation. I mean, and and uh, most of it's uh, with the grocery bill, and they're wanting to blame that on the Packers, which mm-hmm. it's mostly the Packers' fault because they're the ones that have been gouging. Uh, so, so the White House has endorsed this bill. Uh, a lot of the Democratic uh, leadership or lawmakers are behind this bill just to please the White House, which is good. But, and, and I think if, if nobody did anything on this bill, if, if we didn't, if I didn't talk about it every day, you guys didn't have a podcast about it, uh, if people didn't call in to their representatives and senators, but on the other side, if NCBA didn't fight it, our calf didn't didn't uh, bash it in their in their things, and the biggest is North American Meat Institute. Oh, if they didn't fight it, if, yeah. if, if we just if everybody just left it alone, I think this bill would pass. Mm-hmm. But the opposition is fighting it, so our grassroots people that that still want to have twenty or thirty or fifty cows. Uh, or want to buy some light calves to turn out on some grass that they have in the summertime and then sell them and they want to market for those. But if, if our grassroots people want to get behind it, they need to call in and, uh, you know, I've got the number here. We think we've got the Senate, but the house number for the hot wires is their hotline is 202 202-225-3121. 202-225-3121. Three, That's the whole line for the, for the house. That's where we need the most support. And tell them you uh, you support uh, Senate Bill thirty two twenty nine or House Bill fifty nine ninety two is the equivalent in the house. Uh, what was the House Bill number? Fifty nine ninety two. Fifty nine ninety two. I'm gonna put that up on the screen now, and. Uh, yeah, so it's um yeah, two oh two 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 five three one two one Senate Bill thirty two twenty now nine House Bill fifty nine ninety two and and this is uh kind of the libertarian in me because uh like being being uh you know and US cattlemen's kinda in the same position where they're they're the <laughs> You're you're the kind of a fish out of water, uh, and and you know so you're always trying to explain your point from a different point of view. Uh, for all those liberals that that uh, us and the cattle people and the cattle world don't tend to like, um, they have some good points, particularly when it comes to labor. And, and guess who uh, who's the worst on labor? Big corporations. And guess who runs the meat industry? Big corporations. You think they care about their laborers? No, they don't. And uh, and also, if they're the only people that are providing you the product and uh, they control the the their source of their product, they can keep ramping the the price of beef up. Um, it ain't the cattle producer that that's gouging you at the at the meat case. It's it's the packer. And uh, and and the one thing the the producer or the consumer has is is the ultimate uh, kind of arbiter of this, and we've already seen it. Like beef uh, beef consumption hasn't gone down, but you're hearing a lot of people bitch about how high it is. 
and and, and and not just with inflation, like compared to the rate of inflation, the, the price of beef is, is higher. And, uh, and once, uh, once they actually have to, to buy their cattle and, and then sell that product and they don't have to worry about what the, what the price of the, the input is and they can just control the, the price of the output, uh, that, that's when they don't, I mean, they can raise it to, uh, raise it to whatever, you know, I mean, eventually once, uh, once people stop buying beef, like that, that price will come on down. That, like that, it'll come yeah. down in a hurry. And, and when well, they have to, beef, uh, being a becoming a luxury, yeah. And if if you get to the point where your average Joe, your blue collar Joe, can't have a get together to watch a football game or or play horseshoes or celebrate a birthday, and he can't afford to go buy some steaks and throw them on the grill and invite his buddies over for steak and beer, we're sunk. Yeah, I, when and you know, there's there's nobody coming over for a turkey burger. Like, no, nobody's coming <laughs> to that party. You're not going to settle bets on a chicken breast. No, <laughs> not going to happen. No, Man, okay. if that ever comes, this fat kid's going to be so sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I really do think like uh, it's not it's not the best bill. It's it's not even no. you know, it's not even a good bill. You could call it, but it's the best we got, and we I, I do it's think all we got. It's I all think we got. yeah, and I do think at this point, like we don't have much choice, and and this is me as a, like a. Uh, died in the wool anti-government type of guy like i i don't oh, like I it no <laughs> i don't like it but i i don't it's, see it's kind of options. embarrassing that we have to ask for their help it is and, I know. and i'm a conservative guy i hate it too but the reason that we have to do it was the government's failure to enforce the pns regulations to get to, to begin with so yeah. they've got to come in there and fix that nobody else has the authority to do it yeah. Well, and that's what I appreciated your take on, too, because I, I mentioned this before, like, part of the reason I think we're in a lot of mess we are is because everybody assumes everything's black and white. And this uh -huh. bill is is a practical application working with what you got. And I wish more people would understand, you know, a lot of bills that come through are not nobody's going to agree with 100 percent on anything. No, but just got to compromise. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Right. Well, and uh, and especially since like there, there's actually some traction, and and like you said, this is the time. <clears throat> we we both said it. No, nobody here is a fan of Joe Biden. Uh, like that, 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 that I, I don't think that you. I mean, I it shouldn't have to be a qualifier, but it. But uh, I'm not a fan of the guy. But to his credit, he's at least drawn some little bit of attention to this and yeah. if we if we if we don't try to capitalize on it now like you don't even have to throw him a bone you're well, just like well, hey he's 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 drawn public attention to it Let, let's try to capitalize on it and move forward i hate to say it but we would never get this bill done under republican administration not a chance or, or even republican majority not uh, a chance which we're definitely gonna have here here, you know, within a year or so. So we need to get this done now, right now. And we, you know, the irons are hot. We've got to go. We've yeah. got to do it. And uh, and RCAP has said they want to table it. RCAP is fighting it with fighting it with everything that they've got. They've even disparaged Chuck Grassley, you know, in an op-ed. You know, we've got to we've got to do it now. 
And uh, yeah. hopefully we can get this done. And I appreciate the opportunity to get a little bit of it out uh, here to your viewers. No, I, I appreciate your time, Corbett. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, like you're, you're, you're very well versed in this. And, and like, I know the politics thing is not your thing. I know, I know it's, uh, my, my dad, uh, was in politics for, for a long time, still involved in the same way. It, uh, the legend he, Wes McKinley. Yeah. Like he, he didn't, he didn't get into it because he wanted to, uh, he got into it because it was, uh, it had to be done. And, uh, I don't know. This this is a real kind of make or break. Like the you're you're not gonna have to worry about beef not being there. Like the the dairymen and the packers and everything. Like I said, with that with those crossbred cattle and uh, and a subsidized dairy industry, there there's no incentive for them not to start throwing tons of them them crossbred cattle out there. And uh, and you know what the Packers like those because they're uniform, they grade well, and uh, and they can they're black hided, god damn it, you know that like that 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 part's not going away, and um and, and those those big uh, those big corporate feeders they're gonna they're gonna have to hire far more gunsels because it's gonna get harder and harder to find any real cowboys that wanna that wanna go ride those uh, all the time and and live under those those uh you know, just ridiculous corporate, corporate safety, uh, regulations, but they'll just start important, uh, important workers from somewhere else too. I mean, it's just those big corporations, it's, it's all about the bottom line. And if you care about the, like the American cowboy, the American rancher, like you, 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 need to call in to your representative and say, Hey, let's, uh, let's give these guys a hand because, it's it's kind of ugly it's in the trenches it's it's real fucking ugly and uh yeah i don't like to say it but we could we could use a we could use a helping hand well matt i care for all of the cowboy nation except for you because you're just a pos hey i i love you too (laughs) matt you tell your dad or i assume he's still with us right oh yeah you tell him that, that you had uh, George Wall's son on your podcast tonight. I will. I will. They were great friends at one time, and I had no idea that Wes McKinley was your father. <laughs> yes, sir. It's a small world. I, I didn't know that you guys uh, had any yeah, connection my, to my dad used to buy your, My dad used to buy your dad's cattle. Down at uh, Clayton, huh? Yes, exactly. That's awesome. See, and that's... Uh, that, it's a that's small awesome. world when you get in this cattle business. It's very small. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is. It's uh, yeah. Well, and and Wes McKinley is a pretty hard man to forget. <laughs> he, he, he makes an Everybody's impression on people. List. Everybody's bucket list should should include meeting Wes McKinley at least once for about thirty minutes, one on one. That that should be a bucket list. <laughs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Well, um. Let's uh let's let's in uh if you wouldn't mind sticking around for just a couple minutes. I I got an idea to I'm a, I want to put by you Corbett. Um okay. but for for everybody else um 
Uh, Corbett, I thank you for your time. Aaron, uh, you had some really good questions. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And and everybody else, uh, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you go call uh, your your House representative, your senator, and and light a fire under their ass. Because that really public opinion does sway everything. They try to sway public opinion, but really we when people start calling their office uh the people in washington are the laziest motherfuckers alive and the last thing they want to do is work and when people call in their office that means they have to actually go to work so uh that's the that's really when we have a chance to get something done so call those sons of bitches and make them earn their paycheck they haven't done it yet but we can make them we can try and make them anyways so um, Corbett, once again, thanks again uh, for, for coming on. And everybody else, move your ass. We're burning daylight. Appreciate it. Boom. Good guys and bad guys. Cowboys and Indians. Sinners and saints. Masters and minions. Fortune and fear.